Live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, it's Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, Jeff Mosher on a Monday is here. It's brought to you by Dr. Lyle M. Back. For everything from skin care to cosmetic surgery, go to ilovelylback.com. Call 856-MAKEOVER for Dr. Lyle M. Back, proud sponsor of Football at Four. The latest Inside the Birds podcast dropped this morning at 6 a.m., and they've got plenty more on the Eagles coaching search. We are going to dive through it now with Jeff Mosher here from the Inside the Birds podcast, and he joins us on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. What's going on, Mosh? Hello, Mike. Hi, Hunter. Hope you guys are doing well. It, um, it struck me as I was listening to the intro on the imaging there that you still have Doug Peterson's voice about loving how to coach this team. Yes, we got to freshen that up a little bit. Well, we weren't. Uh, we were a little surprised that uh, Doug all of a sudden uh, got got fired, and uh, sure. we got to fix that up. So let's yeah. talk about who might replace him. Um, at this point now, it appears that Josh McDaniels is a clear favorite. Do you have any indication that there's somebody else that might be neck and neck with him? Is there another interview we're waiting on that you still want to see what happens? Or in your mind, is Josh McDaniels going to be the next head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles? It certainly sounds to me like Josh McDaniels is the clear leader in the clubhouse. They had a very long interview over the weekend on uh, Sunday, I believe. And um, from what I was told, and and it was in the the podcast that dropped this morning – when I was asking around, uh, I asked a pretty high-ranking league source what he thought of the situation, and he said that the buzz is that the Eagles really want Josh McDaniels. And so if I'm to connect some dots here, and I don't think anybody else has interviewed Josh McDaniels, and if the Eagles spent all that time picking his brain and there's no other competition, it sure sounds to me like if the Eagles really want Josh McDaniels, as I was told, then they're going to have the opportunity to get him. So as we sit here at 4 o'clock today on Monday, it would not surprise me if sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours that Josh McDaniels is introduced as – well, maybe not introduced, but the news will break that Josh McDaniels will be the next Eagles head coach. Is this out of the blue? Where did this come from? I mean, there was a lot of intriguing names. He wasn't really one of them, and then all of a sudden his name came up, and now it's to the point where it sounds like he is going to be the guy. Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. There's a lot of um, blanks left to fill here. uh, The point being that Josh McDaniels was not in the playoffs, so if they really thought that highly of him, it's surprising that he wasn't one of the first guys that they brought in for an interview. I don't know if maybe something changed. We originally didn't think he was the right fit. If they got some information that changed their mind. I I really don't know what went into that. And I'm sure that that's something we'll find out. What I do know is that Jeffrey Lurie, despite what he says about, and I'm sure he did, he has cast a wide net. I'm sure he's open to hiring a defensive minded coach, but he has said many times that in order to win in this league, You need an elite offense, a top five offense. And, of course, he's got this quarterback situation with Carson Wentz hovering around the team. And it's clear that most of his candidates, not all, but most, came from that offensive pedigree. And uh, many of them specialized in offense. And I imagine – I also know that Jeffrey has always felt that the New England Patriots offense, for obvious reasons, um, was an elite offense. And not just statistically, but in conceptually as well. You know, they were – 
first uh, to be that kind of two tight end team when they had uh, Gronkowski and Hernandez. And they also were among the first to um, listen to Chip Kelly and get his advice and start to incorporate no huddle and running more plays than every other team in the league. They were known for that uh, a while back. Um, so they've been innovative. And, and as Adam Kaplan mentioned on our podcast today, I don't know if there's a team that really uh, brought the slot receivers prominence into the limelight the way the Patriots have done. So obviously with Josh McDaniels there, uh, the Patriots have been an innovative type of offensive football team. I guess the question is, is how much is that on Josh and how much of it is Tom Brady? But uh, we'll see. We'll, I guess we'll see going forward uh, how, how they view Josh and, and what they think he can bring to this team. How do you think his personality meshes with Howie and Laurie? Because I'd imagine they're going to still be involved with many decisions. Yeah, Hunter, it's a great question. Uh, excuse me one sec. <coughs> Sorry about that. Had a cough. It's a great question because... Hopefully it was in your elbow, not your hand. No, it was definitely in the elbow. Um, <laughs> it was a good question. It's a good question because of what happened to him with Denver, where he was kind of known to be a little bit out of his league. He had way too much power given to him at a way young age and it didn't work out. And then of course, you know, with the snubbing of the Indianapolis Colts job at the last minute after they had announced it, that reflected poorly on him as it should. So obviously you have to do your research when you talk to Josh McDaniels and find out a, you know, how much he may have changed or matured since his time as the Denver Broncos head coach. And then B, you have to do your research on do what happened with the Colts situation. There's clearly got to be a backstory there. Right. And I think it's up to people who interview him, Eagles especially, to figure out what happened and then decide based on his answer if it was, you know, too egregious or not to, to think it, that he's a different kind of person. Yeah. I mean, the McDaniel stuff, it's it's interesting because, as you said, it, it's like the, the Denver stuff didn't go well. And not to say because it didn't go well, you don't deserve another opportunity. But then he turns his back uh, on the Indianapolis thing. And it would seem to be that. He went back to New England, and all of his success is really tied to Brady. And then this year, I know they had some injury problems and some stuff, but, man, they looked like just a disconjointed offense, and you wonder, you know, huh, is he really a one-trick pony? Like, if I don't have Tom Brady. But he has a lot of people who really feel, Jeff, that he is a very smart, innovative guy, but maybe most importantly, tough, that he would coach tough. And you wonder mm -hmm. how much that is pushing the pile of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, we say this in baseball a lot, Mike. How often do you see uh, a manager who's considered a player's manager get fired, and then the next guy that they bring in is more of a harsh manager, and then he gets fired five years later, and then they go back to a player's manager. So is, it, is Josh McDaniel getting a, a look here because they feel that they need a head coach who's going to coach his coaches a lot better, who's going to assume – that command and be very assertive and he fits the bill there. That's great. I mean, I think that's an important quality of a head coach and certainly something with Doug Peterson that was lacking. But uh, I think head coaches nowadays also, it can't just be about their scheme, right? It, I mean, if, if, if they're bringing him in because they're, he's known as an elite schemer, you have to also wonder about the CEO type of uh, abilities. Does, can he lead an entire 53? Will he command the respect of everybody in the room including defense and special teams? Will he be able to connect and relate with his players better this time around than he did when he was the Broncos head coach? And those are all questions that have to be asked and vetting that has to be done. It can't just be an interview with Josh McDaniels. You're going to have to make calls. You're going to have to 
talk to people around him who played with him, know him and, and do your diligence on this because it's a very, very obviously goes without saying it's a very important decision. And it's also unique in that, you know, unlike some of their other hires like Andy or Doug, he's got a history here that just can't be ignored. Do you think that there's a possibility he would bring over Mayo as defensive coordinator so the Eagles can essentially get two guys that they value as head coach uh, possibilities? It's a great question. Um, I, you know, I know there's been some speculation because he comes from the New England chain that maybe he would try to bring Patricia with him. Um, I know Bill O'Brien's going to Alabama, correct? So they can't do that. But uh, I, So I don't know what his staff would look like. But I do know that uh, you know, if you take a guy like Brian Flores, right, when he took the Miami job, he did bring some guys with New England with him as well. Um, now, some of them aren't, aren't even with the team anymore, but it, that, that's how he started off. So it would be, I think, it would, obviously, the Eagles interviewed uh, Jared Mayo, I believe, and they, they, or they, they had some interest in him. So um, if they feel like he's ready for defensive coordinator, it might have been good on Josh to bring that up and explain why he thinks that Mayo is ready for that job. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uh, people in New England who feel that the Patriots view Mayo as the successor possibly to Belichick up there. That's how much they like and respect him. But could it be that McDaniels thought that Belichick was closer to the end of the line and now he's realizing, man, he's not going anywhere. Maybe that's why he backed out of Indianapolis. I always had a, a wonder about that, Mike. I always wondered if the reason why he backed out of the Indianapolis job was because um, – he felt that, you know, Bill was and maybe was told by Bill uh, that that, you know, his his end of the line was going to be soon and that Josh would get the job. But you can never really pin your hopes on that. You know, just me being a Penn Stater, I can't tell you how many coaches who coached under Paterno from, uh, you know, Fran Ganther, even Jerry Sandusky, scary enough to say. But there were plenty of, uh, of his top assistants who went through thinking that they were going to be Tom Bradley, uh, the next head coach there. And it just never happened because Joe never never really retired until uh, until the end there where he had to. So you can't – you can you can kind of, I guess, hope that a guy is being honest with you. But um, I don't know if that was the reason Josh turned it down. But it's certainly something I thought about at the time. When the Chargers hired Staley, I think some were shocked it wasn't Dable. Is it weird or strange that he isn't more of a discussion? And do you think he should be? Brian Dable? Yes. Yeah. I In fact, you know, as of yesterday, I thought, you know, if it wasn't going to be McDaniels, I thought the Eagles would um, – would at least hold out to get an interview with Brian Dable, uh, you know, and wait for the, the bills to be out of it. Uh, I, I just saw a report about 10 or 15 minutes ago from Aaron Wilson, who covers uh, mostly the Texans for the Houston Chronicle, but he, he knows the league very well. And he, his report said that Brian Dable is going to stay at Buffalo and, and maybe catch on next year as the, uh, the hot candidate. So it sounds like Dable himself has taken himself out of uh contention now you do have to ask well why you know yeah. if the Eagles, what does that say if, if you yeah, don't even exactly. want an interview if were interested you know why why wouldn't he at least uh, have the interview but I, I don't know I don't want to I don't want to go out there and make remarks about you know him turning anything down I have no idea I just think it's it's right. interesting too yeah I mean the fact that he's saying I would rather be the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator and I know the Bills are good right now and they're a hot team and they've got a lot of great pieces but I would rather be the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator than even interview for your head coaching position, I mean, that that uh, there's something to be said there. And obviously, Sean McDermott was here. You wonder mm-hmm. if McDermott's like, hey, man, you don't want to go there. And- well, I do, I do know that Sean, you know, obviously, when he left here, um, there were certain people that he didn't leave on great terms with. So it, there, it's very possible that 
Hmm. He said to Brian, like, there's going to be something better. You deserve better and, and, you know, stick it out. All right. Mike Kafka apparently is no longer in the running. To my knowledge, he never even got an interview. Um, why no Mike Kafka? What, what happened there? Yeah, I, I can't get a beat on that. That's interesting, too. You know, uh, I know Adam had reported in our podcast that he was very interested, uh, that the Eagles were interested in him. They wanted to talk to him. But Adam also reported that um, today that in the pod that Kafka would be a consideration uh, for the offensive coordinator in Detroit under Matt Campbell. I saw a report that he'd also be considered for the Seahawks offensive coordinator job. These are jobs that would give him uh, play calling. Um, maybe he's reading the tea leaves and thinking that he's not high on the list. Maybe people in Kansas City have kind of cautioned him. I, one thing I've said is that I do question the fit because one reason why Doug was a good fit for Jeffrey and Howie is because Doug was so aggressive and he wanted to be aggressive. I heard that even before he coached his first Eagles game that, you know, going for two, leaving his offense on the field for fourth down, he was really into that kind of stuff. And Kansas City itself is not a franchise that embraces that as much as Doug did personally. So it was a good fit here. I don't know that Mike Kafka embraces those concepts as much because Kansas City does not use analytics. Um, not only do they not use it as much in their draft, but they certainly don't do it as much in their game day play calling as the Eagles have. All right, uh, Jeff Mosher, the Inside the Birds podcast, a lot on uh, Josh McDaniels, the coaching search. Uh, by the way, Eric Bieniemy, they have a request in. Now, is this new, jo uh, that Jeff, that in the past, if your team was still in the playoffs, you could not interview them. So how is Todd Bowles getting an interview with the Eagles, I guess, today? And I yeah. guess the league is now, because of the Zoom being so prominent, that they're saying if as long as the team is okay, you can go do a Zoom virtual interview. Is that new? It is new. I forget when. I thought it came out in December that the virtual it would only be a virtual interview, um, and and it only for head coaching vacancies. If I if I'm correct on that, so um, I don't think it applies. Like if you want an offensive coordinator, you can do this too. But for head coaching teams, you can do uh, the Zoom even while teams are in the playoffs. How do you view yeah, this? Yeah, how, how do you view this Todd Bowles interview at this point? I mean, I, I feel there's such a mess internally. Is this a message like, hey, maybe if you bring in a veteran voice and we do go down that road, it's someone who can maybe bring some stability to this nonsense? Yeah, I think it's more familiarity because Todd was here. Um, if you remember, he wound up becoming the interim head coach, I believe, after they fired Juan Castillo. He was on the staff. And he's known as a great leader of men. Uh, he was known that before he came to the Eagles. He was when he when he was here with the Eagles. His players seemed to like him. Uh, I think I've, I've heard that Jeffrey and Howie enjoyed uh, having Todd here when he was here. And of course, for the for those two guys, I think familiarity and comfort mean a lot. You know, they they it, <laughs> they clearly have a, a certain standard that they're looking for. And if they know that Todd is familiar and comfortable with what goes on in the building it makes sense for them and if they really like the way he leads his staff his coaches and his players then you know you bring in you you bring him in for an interview or you zoom interview with him and you get really detailed information on who todd would like to bring in to coach the offense and be the offensive coordinator and play caller uh and see if that's not the best situation for you um what do you make of the reports that essentially th these head coaching candidates are being told, 
Wentz is your quarterback. Like, if you're coming in and you want Jalen Hurts, you're out of the running. Yeah, I don't know that that's what they're being told, that Carson Wentz is definitely the quarterback. Uh, Adam mentioned on the podcast that Carson's name is coming up in interviews, meaning they are asking candidates for their impression or opinion uh, on how they would deal with the quarterback situation, how they could rebuild Carson Wentz if they were given the opportunity. But I don't think that that necessarily means that it's 100% guaranteed that Carson is staying and that however the candidates answer the question about Carson is the ultimate determining factor. I I don't know that that is the case. Right. So, you know, if I'm uh, Joe Brady and I say, you know, I really like Hertz, you know, that doesn't nullify him from getting the the job. It may not. I I can't imagine that it would. I mean, considering that this team used a second round pick on Jalen Hertz, you know, which is probably more, uh, which is probably higher than most teams willing to go with Hertz, uh, as you heard going into the draft. So I don't think that they've soured on him by any means. And and I do think that the Eagles are realistic in that, you know, looking forward ahead, it may be that Jalen Hurts has to be the starting quarterback next year, depending on what happens with Carson Wentz. Somebody can give them the greatest answer in the world on Carson Wentz, but if Wentz has it in his head that he's not coming back and he's going to force a, a trade out and not show up and make this thing ugly, then it might not matter. Uh, in the long run. Okay, real quick, before we shift our focus to, you know, that Wentz article, I want to get your take on some of the stuff in there. Biennemi, Bowles, Brady, Mayo, McDaniels, Lincoln Riley, Deuce Staley. It sounds like they're the, the, the what's remaining here. Is there another candidate that maybe comes out of nowhere, or is that is that the final group? Yeah, I, I can't imagine at this point another name although i probably couldn't have imagined that like five days ago either but um i, I don't know the, the buzz with mcdaniel is so strong um i've heard that they've liked brady too that it's hard to think of another guy just all of a sudden popping onto the radar uh that the, you know maybe a college guy uh but i doubt it one thing that very much surprised matt me, campbell very baby. much uh yeah very much surprises me though is that lincoln riley has not publicly come out and said one way or another what his intentions are. Uh, I know there's a report that he's happy at Oklahoma, and of course, of course he is. Um, that that's I'm not you know of course he should be happy. He gets paid well and he wins there, and it's a great place for him. But normally, when you're a t- when you're a head coach in college, a successful one like him, and your name is attached to NFL jobs, if you're not going to take it, you normally come out and publicly say I appreciate it, but I'm not going to take an interview. I'm committed to where I'm at. Because these coaches use that against you in recruiting. I mean, they're like sharks to chum mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff. And I'm very, very surprised that Lincoln Riley has not made any public statement. Because I think if he was willing to take an interview with Howie and Jeff, he doesn't seem high on the totem pole right now. Uh, but if he was willing to take an interview, I think that he would get some serious consideration. All right. So, obviously, a lot of people buzzing about this Jeff McLean article. It kind of lines up with an article a couple of years ago by Joe Santalaquita that was kind of viewed as a hit piece on Wentz, and people at the time were very pro-Wentz and really defended Wentz and ripped the writer. Now it's almost like McLean's got to be right uh, because Wentz has got a poor um, view by the fan base. Are there is there something in that article that is new that surprises you or that is something that is very damning in your opinion? Because if you read that and you're the owner of the GM, I'm thinking to myself, how do I bring this guy back here if some of this stuff is actually accurate? 
Uh, you know, I mean, it certainly is is follows in light to what was written years ago by uh, Joe Santaliquido. And I have to say, like, you know, and I take nothing away from Jeff McLean. It was a really good story. But um, and, and, you know, not to sound like I'm, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, hyperextending our shoulders here to pat ourselves on the back. But we talked about this on Inside the Birds for quite a while about Carson's coachability, about the fact that he has to be coached harder, about the fact that even when they try to get him to see certain things, whether it's checking the ball down or throwing the ball away, that he has not been as receptive to the coaching uh, that they would like him to be. We brought, even brought it up. Why is it that when Jalen Hurts came in to play quarterback, you started to see some of the motion and the misdirection and parts of the offense that were really kind of absent there? It, it, can, it can't possibly be because Doug was trying to sabotage Carson Wentz. He want, of course Doug wanted to win games and not get fired. So we, we've talked about that a lot. Carson is a very stubborn guy. He has an ego. You have to remember he came out of North Dakota State as the big man on campus. And as we've talked about on Inside the Birds, John Filippo, his first quarterback's coach, really had to feud with him. They had to butt heads before Carson was willing to see that he needed to make some changes coming out of college. And then, of course, when Filippo and Frank Reich left, and uh, Mike Rowe goes and then Press Taylor becomes more responsible, as we've talked about on the podcast. It seems like their relationship is too close for Press to be as, uh, you know, hard on Carson as, per se, say, um, John Filippo was. So that's all stuff we've talked about for quite a while inside the birds as well. So it doesn't surprise me to, to continue to see that come out. How do you view the part about Peterson calling a play and Wentz would kill it for no reason other than distaste and, quote, it became a pissing match? Well, I, I remember during the middle of the, the, the season, we started to analyze Doug Peterson's press conferences, right? And one of the bigger questions, uh, you know, week 8, 9, 10, 11, is why aren't you rolling Carson Wentz out a little bit more, right? And what was Doug's response? It was, well, we, we have some, some plays there. Sometimes they get changed at the line of skimmers. Sometimes they get killed. Uh, so I and I remember saying at the time, it feels like this is Doug's way of trying to tell people that he does call certain things and he's trying to get Carson into a better rhythm. But once the play has called it line of scrimmage or changed, then it's out of his hands. Now, I criticize Doug, too. You can you can take back all the autonomy you gave Carson Wentz if you want. But I'm assuming that Doug felt if he did that, that's just going to cause even more of a divide. It felt like a. Uh, a catch-22 there, or that both guys did not do their best jobs to make this thing work better. Uh, Jeff Mosher, the Inside the Birds podcast uh, drops Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., the next edition, I should say. Uh, it drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 a.m. If you want more of the Inside the Birds guys, they're here at Football at 4 every day. Andrew DeCecco's here tomorrow. Mosh is back on Wednesday. By the time you are back on Wednesday, 4 o'clock, will the Eagles have a head coach? Four o'clock Wednesday. I think there's a sixty to seventy percent chance the answer is yes. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll keep our eyes on that. And of course, he like August appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mosh, Wednesday it is. See you guys then. All right. And uh, football at four. It is brought to you by Dr. Lyle M. Back for everything from skincare to cosmetic surgery. Go to ilovelyleback.com or call eight five six makeover. Dr. Lyle M. Back. Proud sponsor of Football at Four. I remember Doug Peterson saying, "Yep, sometimes it gets killed. But here's the thing that's a little crazy about it. If it was a roll to the right that he was asked about, and that's what we've been screaming Carson Wentz should be doing, is that the play that Carson would be killing? 
You know, like, why would he kill out of a roll to the right if that's something that he wanted implemented more? But I do remember that happening. Look, all I know is if Doug called a play and he's changing out of spite. Oh, you got the wrong guy. You got yeah, the wrong guy. I don't guy. care if he rolls right, left. left yeah, I'm with you. you backwards, got the, <laughs> forwards. <laughs> you got the wrong up, guy. Up, down, inside, out. Yep. All right, uh, we got more on this story, and we're going to continue to discuss it. Coming up on the other side, you can get involved. 609-403-0973 is the text board. 609-403-0973. We got text messages coming in. <laughs> I'm reading like some of these text messages, and I'm thinking, what is this about? It says, Hunter is nuts. But that was from last hour. Yeah, that's fine. I can be nuts. Well, we knew that. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's me. Uh, we're going to continue discussing this Carson Wentz article. Don't forget, you can watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com. Through Facebook, on the app. Man, I, I'm just blown away by some of the stuff in the story we haven't even got to yet. Stick around. We got more of it coming up. It's Philadelphia. All right, 4.30, bottom of the hour. Uh, boy, we are flying through a Monday show. But we got plenty more to go. Casey Joyner, one thought on all the games this weekend. I thought the games were okay. Lost some luster when Mahomes went out. Donald got hurt. It got exciting, though, which is crazy, when you had Chad Henney in the game. Not, Not that Josh you... Henning. No. That would be fun, though. I could see him making that fourth and two throw out of the shotgun. Reed yeah. goes, hey, Josh, I believe in you. Yeah, run for a big gain of 14 or 13 yards. Well, I couldn't believe when <laughs> that Chad Henney was the backup quarterback. I'm with you on that. I was like, really? Yeah. You had some good UFC stuff, too. Holloway, I don't know if you saw any of that fight, but that was crazy. Also, this weekend, there's a great UFC fight, Conor McGregor. And DraftKings has a nice odds boost for you. Bet $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and you're cashing out $257. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. And use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so we got plenty more in this article to dive into. Yes, we do. And it's like I don't even know where to continue to start. Like, it's just like I don't know where, like, to pick back up. There's just so much in here that you're just like, say what? Like, this really is happening? I mean, my question is this, though. How do you move forward with the guy when there's people involved in this locker room who are fully aware of this for years? They like how do you move forward as a franchise with this being your quarterback? I don't understand how the front office like no accountability here. Like how the front office could allow this to go on. I agree with you. Because that Scandrick quote that we played earlier, where there's smoke, there's fire. Let me play that again because think about this comment, all right? Let's just say where there's smoke, there's fire. You've been in a lot of locker rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, if me and you are having a conversation in the locker room and it gets leaked to him, so he's gonna get the edited version. What was the version that me and you were actually talking about? Right. So by the time it gets to Lori and Roseman, is it the edited version? Like, well, that's not all that bad. Yeah, for sure it is. And that's pretty much it. A little whisper down the lane kind of thing. The story changes as it continues to go from mouth to mouth to mouth, you know? Right. And this is where I go back to, you know, and we don't need to get into, like the Peters thing. He has the credibility. Forget his play. 
he, Jason Peters being Jason Peters and his standing of a man and a what his resume is, his play is out the window to me. He could be on the bench all season and not play a snap. But if he is the guy, that's where I take it as if Jason Peters is saying it, there might be a problem. Yeah, here. and I think majority of people do tend to lean that way. I I personally do see it a little bit differently, but I, I think people would probably say something similar to how you feel in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, if it's Nate Herbig who goes to the owner and says, hey, coach, no. you know. I was thinking more Kelsey and Lane Johnson has a little bit more stock right now than, for me personally, than JP. Like, if see, it I was don't look at two. the stock based on their play. Lane Johnson had a lousy year too, by the way. Yeah, so Lane Johnson has no say in this either. You played like crap. Not to the level of Jason Peters. Like I just look at it as JP is kind of if it was him. We don't know what lineman it was. Right. It's more of like I played like this is why I play bad. This guy. Yeah, but Lane Johnson to me similar. He didn't play very well. Now he tried to gut it out and play, but when he did play, he wasn't the same. But Lane Johnson's voice as a veteran is respected as a good player. You might not be playing well now, but if you have enough oomph. He has enough oomph to go there and say, forget my play. I suck right now. But I'm just speaking up for the rest of these this group of guys who, you know, they don't have the experience. They're not ready to do this. They're afraid to vo- speak up. I'm speaking up for them. We got a problem. I wonder if that's what – because it says one lineman went to management and requested the switch. Remember, we saw the reports that Jeff Mosher was the one that actually put the story out there that uh, Jeffrey Lurie would say, look, if, you're, if you want to do it, okay. I wonder if that time frame – correlates with one another and Doug that that week didn't even make the change which was the most ironic part but that's probably I would imagine when that lineman went in there that's probably when Jeffrey Lurie said all right Doug look I'll give you the power to to do it I'd like to know when that was because well obviously the Eagles had lineman problems because Lane Johnson was out for most of the year Jason Peters was on the injured reserve list multiple times the final three weeks and then somewhere early in the year he was hurt what if it was Brown (laughs) <laughs> hey, coach, or not coach, you know, yeah. hey, now hey, him <laughs> saying, hey, my play was that bad yeah. because of him. Uh, <laughs> this was part of the story. He doesn't understand he lost games for us, a veteran player said. Now, this just as a veteran player. He'll never, he will never admit that, and that's a problem because he can't get it corrected. In the quarterback room, when his errors were pointed out, Wentz would sometimes make irrelevant excuses and Taylor wouldn't correct him. For instance, there would be a play when he didn't throw to an open receiver. The read was drawn up as designed, the coverage played out as expected, and he would be asked why he didn't pull the trigger. And Wentz would say the look wasn't there, or he would overemphasize the pass rush. And when it was suggested the play be run again in practice as to get it right, he would object. You know what stood out to me when you read that out? And Taylor wouldn't correct him. Is that more of a problem? I mean, look. Absolutely. I, I, that, to me, it's like you need to get someone in there who will drill it into this guy's head. This is the problem. You're the problem. So, to me, that's an issue when Press Taylor isn't saying anything. And that doesn't mean Carson Wentz is off the hook because this no. is all damning. But it starts there. Right? No question. Look, it's in everything. It starts at the top in everything. The Eagles have a problem because it starts at the top. But when you get into that quarterback room, the top of the quarterback room is Press Taylor. So within that room, he has enabled this. So you have a problem because your quarterback room leader has now enabled your quarterbacks to run the room. But the part for me that I have the problem with is, you know, 
he's essentially just constantly making excuses. How do you have the guy who's the franchise quarterback but constantly making excuses? Right. Well, he's open, but uh, I had a pass rush. Did you coming. hear Baker Mayfield yesterday? Because there was that play at the end of the half where it was helmet to helmet, but the ball ended up hitting the – it was a fumble, the red zone. You know how everyone's complaining about that. After the game, he said, you know how many plays we left out there? He mentioned how he was throwing across his body through the middle of the field, and he was disappointed in himself, and he didn't do a good enough job. And it's like, you know, so many people could easily blame the referees in that moment, and there was a backup quarterback on the other side. There was an advantage to be taken, and they didn't take it. Baker Mayfield wasn't making any excuses. I I mean, did you see the way I play? I didn't play good enough. We didn't get the job done. Like, he was taking accountability for that loss and wasn't blaming a silly play at the the end zone there. And Carson never does that. He says, I need – he says I need to do a better job, but that's just nonsense that flows out of his mouth. And then he says, I'm not going to change who I am at the same time. That's concerning. Well, this is like a lot of this year. You know, we come in here on a Monday, and it's like, oh, Doug's play con. And I'm like, guys – I'm sorry. I don't know what you're watching because when I'm watching, there's guys open. There's guys open, and he's not throwing the ball. And, you know, this article saying there's a play. Uh, there's an open receiver. He wouldn't throw the ball. The, the read was drawn up right as designed. The coverage played out as expected. So it's like you had plays to be made. You're not making them. And he doesn't want to take accountability of that. He wanted to make it, well, they're not calling good enough plays. Uh, the offensive line's not. It's like. And, like, people enable him, like, to say, well, the line stinks. Uh, it's not his fault. The receivers aren't all that good. You know what? The receivers were fine. Are they great? No. But they're open. You're not You're not delivering them the football. And, like, it's him not taking accountability, and it's making everybody else look bad. And that's where it's like, you're the leader. You can't – like, now we go into this all season thinking, well, this guy stinks, and he stinks, and that guy stinks, and they need this guy there, and they need this guy there. And that's what I'm saying. I don't think this roster is nearly as bad. I think he made it look that bad. I think it's both. I think it's both. I mean, I still think you're not winning much with Greg Ward and, and Fulgham and, like, this core. Like, I think they're – I think it's both. I, I think I want my – Oh, my, it's both, my, yeah, but I'm I saying my... I don't think it's as rock-bottom bad as – this is not a four-win roster is my point. No, I don't think it's a four-win roster, but it's not a good enough roster for what city we are. But I agree with you. It's not a four-win roster. It is not a four-win roster if you have a No, but if you're a nine-win team, you're a lot closer to becoming maybe an 11-win team than you are a four-win team. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the quarterback play, and this this accountability thing kind of like reaffirms this to me a little bit, is that his play was so bad that it made everybody else look bad, and now – we are questioning the whole 53-man yeah, roster. But this is where it goes back to, you know, with Jason Peters. If it's five plays, well, is five out of 70 bad, right? Well, I'm not. every play isn't all Carson Wentz just missing guys. So if it's X amount in a game, that doesn't mean that Travis Fulgham's off the hook for not giving it his full effort or this guy's running the wrong route or this play design was poor. Like, there's just so many factors. It's not as – this is the hottest story right now, and this is concerning that this is happening, but there's so many plays in a game. If this is seven or eight plays, that doesn't tell the full oh, right. story. I, I know that a lot of people don't agree with me, and my point has been – I don't think the receivers were as big of a problem that people were making it out to be. I think these guys were open. He wasn't delivering the football. I think the offensive line was not very good, but I don't think it was atrociously bad. 
He made it look so bad. And I go back to what I said before. They're going to get their offensive line. Look, I say they're going to get their offensive line back. I don't know if Brandon Brooks is going to get hurt in the middle of training camp. I don't know that Lane Johnson is going to get hurt in the middle of training camp. Right now, they are healthy. And they will be at training camp and ready to go unless something crazy happens in the offseason. In my opinion, getting those two guys back changes a lot for this team. I don't know what to think of Dillard, but I'll go to the Jason Peters conversation we're having. Andre Dillard is thought by the fan base to suck based on the fact that he played a game at right tackle and did not have a good night. Well, the guy's not a right tackle. He admitted as such. Now, you could say, well, guess what? Play right tackle if they tell you to play right tackle. And I don't like the way he handled it, to be honest with you. But he's not a right tackle. But we're judging him off that game that he played right tackle. When he played left tackle last year in games that Peters got hurt, he handled himself pretty well. But the one game that he played right tackle is what we remember, and that's who the fan base thinks he is. So I don't know what to think of Dylan. Yeah, he's such a question mark. He has four career starts. I mean, how can you even know anything about the kid? And one of those was that right tackle where he really struggled. To me, getting Dillard back at, or Mayalata, yeah, you have or. a left tackle that should be solid. You're not getting Jason Peters in his prime, but you're going to get a pretty solid player. You get Brooks back and Lane Johnson. If those two guys are healthy, you have two of the best players at their positions in football. I don't know what Kelsey's going to do. He could retire. You have a question at the center position if he does. You have Sayamala back at left guard who had a pretty solid year. You get that offensive line back in gear and they can give you an honest season, I think this team will look drastically different if the quarterback plays well. Yeah, I mean, only time will tell. There's just so, at this point, there's so much change involved. It's hard to tell because you're you're talking about a new offensive philosophy, a new head coach, a new defensive coordinator, new this, a new that. Yeah. Like it's so new that it's going to be hard to relate to what it was last year. Even though people were just snap their fingers and say, "Oh, this was the only difference." I mean, there's you are changing the entire organization yeah. at this point. Which well, they needed to do that. And and look again, they've been down this road before where they won four games. The offensive line was hurt, and the next year Chip Kelly came in, and they went from four to ten. Well, when they won four games that la- that year, this team's horrible. They got to blow it all up. They're in disarray. Nobody wants this job. They ended up getting Chip Kelly, who at the time was the hot guy. Whether he ended up working out or not, nobody will take this job. The, the roster's a mess. The roster wasn't as bad. They had a lot of injury problems. You brought in a new coach, and guess what? That new coach went from four wins to ten wins. Not based on Kelly being this great coach, I don't think anyway. Based on the fact that Reed didn't have the offensive line that Kelly ended up getting. And I thought that was a huge factor then. I think it's going to be a huge factor this year. And I, I, and I think I, so too. I hope though, and this is the big if, if Carson Wentz acquiesces and conforms to being coached. Because if he's going to act like this, all this is out the window. I agree. If he's acting this way that this story puts out there, I don't know how as a franchise you can even move forward with him. WinBet has arrived in New Jersey. Download BetWin. Go to winbet.com. Sign up. Start winning today. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Physically present in Jersey to participate. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Don't forget you can watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com. Yep, live video of the show streaming live through Facebook. So if you have a Facebook account and you want to watch the show, head on over to Facebook and watch us live. You can always hit us up on the text. We'll read some text messages off. And of course, 
Casey Joyner, one thought on every game tonight. At 5.30, Flyers hockey tonight. Kevin Durso is our guest on game night tonight with Josh at 6.20. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. On some models, excludes Corvette with GMF financing, excludes fire sales. See dealer for details. Start the new year in a new Chevy at Bennett Chevy. Come see all the hot new 2021. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash on your Monday. It is Mike and Bros. Hey, it's uh, Flyers Friday night tonight, by the way. 2-0 Flyers. They won Friday night. That was a game, eh? You got a little hat trick. Yeah, Travis Konechny, huh? How about it? It's pretty exciting to watch this team play. They can win again tonight. 3-0. Carter Hart's getting the, Elaine Vigneault said this, Carter Hart's getting the nod tonight, and tomorrow is going to be Brian Elliott, but Sean Couturier is a big loss. He's going to be out for, like, I saw it. Two weeks two or weeks. so, at least. So you're, what you're doing is you're calling up Morgan Frost, and Elaine Vigneault said he's getting slotted right into that first line. Now, I know everybody likes the young, new toy, but give us an honest thought on that. Okay, so I think what you saw, him and Joel Farabee, I know they have different skill sets, but they can both have that type of impact. So I really do, I think he's a step behind Joel Farabee, but he can make that type of impact. He really can one of the things to be on the front line though. Well, so this is the reason why. Like are you throwing him right up there and saying, "Get in there, young man." I'm not, but the philosophy AV gave, I can agree with. It's he, like the whole Eagles thing. I don't want to move two guys. Yeah, he he thinks that Claude Giroux and Kevin Hayes, they're playing so well together. They don't want to mess up that second line. JVR had a couple assists the other night. They don't want to really move that third line. And he's not a fourth line player. So, what's the best thing to do? Just and he's a he's a skillful skillful player. Like he can play first line minutes eventually. It's just getting thrown into it right off the top might be a tough task. But hey, let's see how the kid responds. All right. Well, that game's tonight. Buffalo here on 97.3 ESPN. They'll play Buffalo tonight. And then again, they'll play Buffalo tomorrow night. Yep, so they back got, to back. This is the start of these like mini series. They played Pittsburgh twice. They got Buffalo twice. They got Boston twice. They've got Jersey twice. They've got the Islanders twice. Yesterday kind of broke up our flow that we were bragging about, that we're going to have either Flyers or Sixers every night for like a couple-week stretch because of the postponement. We we lost it. Yeah, well, I'm okay with that because the Sixers game was jammed smack in the – now, Saturday, i got to be honest, I didn't watch much of the Sixers at all because it was smack in the middle of that – well, football. Right. Yeah, playoff football adds another layer to this. Now, I, I was listening to someone talk about how the Boston Celtics and some of these other teams with all these postponements, right? There's another game that got postponed tonight. I think Washington. If you're one of those teams that loses out on five, six, seven games or whatever, and they build this second-half schedule, is there going to be a stretch? I don't think they've addressed what they're going to do with these makeup games. Yet. Right. My, my point is, is it possible that right before the playoffs, you got to fit in seven regular season games in like a 10-day span I think they're going right to have before to the vote, playoffs? They're going to have to do some sort of thing on whether or not they're going to go by winning percentage or they're going to make you make these games up. I mean, the Wizards-Hornets game for Wednesday has already been postponed. I mean, at what point does the NBA have to say, you know what, we need to hit the pause button for a couple weeks maybe two weeks here and, and re look selfishly as a fan. I don't want to see that. I mean, you know, I mean, but the product they're putting out there is no good. I don't know. Is it all about the I think money? The NBA is saying though, we don't care about the regular season. We need to make money because we lost money last year. And then we'll get to the playoffs. Maybe they even get in a bubble in the playoffs. That's what I'm thinking. So that's the key. So the league purposely started when they did to make good on the regional sports television contracts. 
without the regional sports TV contracts, they cannot make up the money they're losing without fan attendance. Because what happens is, if you think about it this way, the national TV money from TNT and ESPN cover one set of expenses. Then the regional TV contracts cover another set of expenses. So that's why they're doing this. And also the league claims, now they claim this, we haven't heard an update on this yet, they claim that the second half of the season they are going to make good any games that are not played the first half of the season. Now, believe that if you want, because we know that the league, remember when they shut down for the bubble, they didn't do a full makeup. They did a sprint, right? So does the league, as you mentioned, Mike, with the strength of schedule or the win percentage, do they have an expanded plan? Because they're going to do this to 7 through 10 again. They're going to do that thing again. So do they maybe add a little bit more oomph to that when they come back by saying, hey, if you're maybe 6 through 10 or whatever like that, and maybe expand it a little more if they don't feel they can get in all the games? Hmm. I don't know if uh, I want that, though. You know what I mean? Like, now we're talking about some <laughs> team that's 12 games under 500 getting an opportunity. Well, no, no, I said 6 through 10. Right, so but like, what if what if 10 is, you know, a, a bad team that's significantly under 500? They get I, don't a chance. Think they, I don't think they can go back on saying they were already going to do that and then change just because there's one team that doesn't fit the preferred, you know, uh, Yeah, and realistically, optics. they'll probably lose anyway. But I'm saying, like, wh- what if that team ended up winning, you know? Now you're stuck with this as the eighth seed. They did it in baseball. Yeah, but baseball's a little different <laughs> than the NBA. Christ, they had... Teams that had no business being in the playoffs. No, I know, but we all talked about this. Like a three-game series in baseball compared to an NBA team without one star player, it's two totally different mindsets. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think they're just saying, look, let's just dredge through the regular season. The cream will rise to the top. And then once we get to the playoffs, you know, you're in a bubble situation because you're going to be playing in that, you know, in that building. You're, you're in the same place. Now, they might bubble up and go to someplace again. I don't know. Don't forget, also, the league told the players they expect to have vaccines by March or April. Right. Get us to this point. Just get us to here, and then we'll change. We can Things can change. All right. Five o'clock hour on the other side. We will dive deep into the Wentz article. We have not even hit on the most explosive parts yet. Stay tuned. 97.3 ESPN with a Flyers Minute from Kevin Durso. The Flyers open the season 2-0 with a 5-2 win over the Pittsburgh Penguins on Friday night at Wells Fargo Center. The Flyers opened up a 3-0 lead in the first period with two goals by Travis Konechny and another by Ivan Provorov. The Penguins quickly answered with two goals in 32 seconds on goals by Sidney Crosby and Brandon Tanev. The 3-2 margin held into the third period, where the Flyers put the game away as Konechny completed the hat trick, and Oscar Lindblom scored into an empty net. Carter Hart made 31 saves in the win. The Flyers will be without Sean Couturier for at least two weeks after he left Friday's game with an injury. The Flyers now welcome the Buffalo Sabres to town for the next two games. The first one comes on Monday night at 7.30 p.m. You can listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN. With this 97.3 ESPN Flyers Minute, I'm Kevin Durso. The Greater Atlantic City Chamber, in partnership with Atlanticare, will host a virtual town hall to answer community